Amen. There is something good about telling God how great He is. So it's good to, to worship Him this morning. Turn with me, Proverbs 20 and Proverbs 23. Going to look at uh, several past three, three verses from those two chapters. Proverbs 20, verse 1, and Proverbs 23, verses 31 and 32. Last week, we began an eight-week sermon series entitled, Asking for a Friend. Maybe you have questions about God or, or church or the Christian life that you really didn't want to ask, or maybe you did ask, uh, but you've kind of always wondered these types of questions, but really didn't, maybe didn't want to ask someone about them. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how do you know the Bible is really true? I mean, we know that though there were believers in the early church, they believed it to be true. But is there any evidence outside of believers that the Bible really is accurate and true? We're going to talk about that next Sunday morning. This morning, we're answering the question, is it wrong to drink alcohol? Is it wrong to drink alcohol? Now, almost all Christians agree that it's wrong to get drunk. Almost all believers agree with that. But what we're talking about this morning is, is it ever wrong just to take a drink socially or with a meal or, or out with friends? Is that wrong? Now, the Bible talks a lot about wine, talks a lot about it. So this topic has been debated by many believers through the centuries. Some people say it's okay to drink if you don't get drunk. Others say that you should never drink, period, alcohol at any time. Well, which one is it? This morning, I want to share with you as I begin what I believe that the Bible teaches, and I believe in total abstinence of alcohol. It's what I believe personally, that believers in Jesus should not drink alcohol. Now, I don't drink alcohol. I have never taken a drink in my life. I've never tasted it. Uh, and this morning, I'm going to show you from Scripture why I believe that and why I don't do that. Now, I'm not going to do it in a bashing kind of way or ranting or anything like that. I, I, don't, I don't not drink because I'm Baptist or because I'm a preacher or because a deacon say I can't or anything like that. I do it because of what the Bible teaches me as a believer in Jesus. So that's what I'm going to look at this morning. And I just want to share with you why I don't drink alcohol and the Scripture passages that go with that. First of all, let's look at our texts this morning. Chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now look at chapter 23, verses 31 and 32. Do not look on the wine when it is red. When it sparkles, word literally means moves in the cup. When it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Now, let's look at, first of all, a little more closely, our text, letter A. Letter A on your outline, our text, Proverbs 20 and 23. Let's look at these verses quickly. Proverbs 20, verse 1 tells us 
that, that wine is a mocker and strong drink is a growler, literally. Let's look at those. When I first read that, I, I immediately thought there must be a difference between wine and strong drink, right? It says wine, and then it says strong drink. Is there a difference between the two? And there is a difference. I'll talk about that in just a moment. There's a difference between wine and strong drink. It tells us that wine is a mocker. And the word mock there is lutes, L-U-W-T-S. It means to laugh at someone arrogantly. Laugh at someone in an arrogant way. After church, if we're talking and I begin to mock you and I laugh arrogantly at you, I'm not, and I'm not joking and you know that, that's going to offend you. And it should. The Bible tells us that wine does that to you. It mocks you arrogantly. Notice what it says next. It says that strong drink is raging. The word hama literally means to rage. And it literally means to growl, like a dog growls. If I have a dog up here today and I go, oh, look at this sweet dog, and I go over to pet it, and it bares its teeth and goes, I'm not going to hug it, okay? It's telling me something. That's the picture. Strong drink growls at you. Don't embrace it, don't hug it. It's telling you something. Strong drink is a growler. And notice the last phrase that says, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The word deceive there means to lead astray. It means to take someone by the hand and lead them. So here's the picture. Alcohol taking you by the hand and leading you where you want it to go. Folks, you know people like that. I do too. Their whole life is determined by where alcohol takes them. The Bible said whoever does that is not a wise person. Look at Proverbs 23 a little more closely. It says, do not look on the wine when it's red and whenever it moves. Hold hold on, wait a second. Whenever it moves. You mean there's wine that moves and wine that does not move? Yes. Yes. Whenever it moves, that's the fermentation process it's talking about. Fermentation that produces the alcohol. So whenever it says, whenever the wine starts to move the fermentation, do not look upon it when it ferments and the alcohol is produced. Now, the end result, he said, is that it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. Now go to letter B on your outline. Biblical words used for wine. I want us to look at the biblical words because this is really key. I hope that you'll lock into this because this is key. And a lot of believers are misled about the biblical words used for wine. 673 times in the Bible wine is mentioned. That's a lot. But different words are used. Now, one mistake that a lot of people make, they assume that the biblical word for wine is our wine today. It's not. 
I'll talk more about that in letter C. It's not. They assume, well, wine is wine. Bible talks about wine. We have wine today. It's fine. You can drink wine. But it's different. We have different words for wine or grape juice. Or today, you say wine in English, you're talking about alcohol content. If you say juice, grape juice, we know in English that has no alcohol in it. Right? We know the difference. In those days, they did not have a word for juice. It was wine. So the word wine could be an alcoholic drink or a non-alcoholic drink. It could be alcohol or it could be grape juice, and it's both called wine. Now, let's look at the words. Three main words used in Old Testament, three in New Testament that correspond to one another for the word wine. I think you get a better picture. First word, number one, is the most common word used in the Old Testament and the most common word used for wine in the New Testament. It's yayin in the Old Testament. It's oinos in the New Testament. Hebrew yayin, Greek oinos, and it means a generic term for a great drink that included both alcohol and non-alcoholic beverages. Both fermented and unfermented. So the Bible could say oinos in, in Greek and it talk about grape juice. Or it could say oinos and talk about alcohol. How do you know the difference? Good question. Linguists, Bible scholars that word, do word studies, they have studied this for years. And they say that how you know whether it's talking about juice or alcohol is the context. That's how you determine. But the most common word can mean alcohol or non-alcohol. Here's the second word that's used. The Old Testament word shakar, New Testament word sekera. This is different. Anytime the Old Testament talks about shakar and the New Testament talks uses the word sekera, it always refers to strong drink. It's translated, not wine. Translated strong drink. That means it was undiluted with water. Now, I'll talk about this in a moment, but most of the Jews in those days, they would take their wine and they would dilute it with water. If you ever had a drink that was undiluted, they called it strong drink. Now, here's the catch. Scripture always forbids strong drink. It always condemns strong drink. That's the word that, that's used. Strong drink is always forbidden. Go to the third word. The Old Testament, tarosh. New Testament equivalent is glucose. Yes, that's where we get our word glucose from. Spelled differently, but it's the same. means means sugar. So, tarosh in the Old Testament, glucose in the New Testament... It's talking about grape juice. What we know as grape juice has no alcohol content at all. It's not fermented. It's juice from the vine. And the Bible calls this new wine or sweet wine. So anytime you see the phrase new wine or sweet wine in the Bible, that's referring to a non-alcoholic beverage. It's just grape juice. It's just grapes 
from the vine. So those are the different words that, that are used. And, and it's, you have to know how they're used, which ones are used to know whether it's alcohol or grape juice. Now, let's go letter C. Was biblical wine the same as today's alcoholic drinks? I think this is the main question of the day. Was biblical wine the same as our alcoholic drinks today? I think most people think they are. And they're not. I'll explain in just a moment. First of all, as we talk about this point, whenever it says wine, wine is not always a drink in the Bible. Wine is used symbolically for other things. Wine is used as a symbol for teaching. Jesus said, you can't put new wine, grape juice, in old wineskins. You, you can't put this new teaching that I'm bringing into the old system that's set up of, of Judaism. It, it, it'll burst. Can't do it. It was symbolic of teaching. Several times in Scripture, wine is symbolic of teaching. Not only that, wine was also symbolic of, of the blood of Jesus, of the atonement. Wine was also symbolic of affliction, hardships. They drank the, 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 the wine of affliction. It meant they were going through a hard time. Symbolic. It was also symbolic of violence and at times symbolic of God's wrath. God's wine of judgment was poured out. So, just because the word wine is used does not always mean it's an alcoholic drink. But the times in the Bible it does talk about an alcoholic drink, and, and there are times it does, the alcohol content was extremely low. How do you know that? Jewish Talmud which is a commentary, Jewish commentary, from the rabbis on the Old Testament, said that whenever wine is consumed, it must be mixed a minimum of three parts water to one part alcohol. Three to one is what the Talmud said was standard. So your alcohol is diluted. Some Jews drank a 20 to 1 ratio, which meant for every one part alcohol, you put 20 points, parts water into it. That's hardly any alcohol at all. Now, whenever you mix three parts to one part alcohol to wine, how much alcohol content does that produce? Most Bible scholars feel like it produces around a two and a half alcohol content two and a half beers today are four so that's about half the alcohol content their wine was about one half the alcohol content as our beer now sugar from grapes that, that rot or ferment they produce about a three percent alcohol from airborne yeast 
if they added yeast to it, they could get up to about a 10%. It was always less than 10. Usually, never exceeded 10. Our alcohol content today, it's all over 10, just about. Brandy and is about a 15 to 20% content. Uh, hard liquor is, is uh, any liquor is 20%. Hard liquor is, is uh, uh, what, 50% is 100 proof. And so they always had less than 10. In fact, in biblical days, it took all day to get drunk. It did. In order to get drunk, you had to start drinking early in the morning, and finally late at night you were drunk because the alcohol content was so low. You remember in the book of Acts, whenever Pentecost happened, they're speaking in tongues, and all all the critics said, oh, they're all drunk. And Peter said, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. You can't get drunk at 9 o'clock. It took all day to get drunk because the alcohol content was so low. And think about this also. Distilleries that get the content, alcohol content very high, they weren't around until a thousand years after Jesus. In fact, the first distillery concept was by an Arabic chemist 800 years after Jesus. And the distillation process, our distilleries, our breweries, they didn't come along to be common until a thousand years after Jesus. So the distilleries that we have today that get the alcohol content high, they didn't have them. So alcohol content was usually around two and a half percent. So is biblical wine the same as ours? Not even close. You're... You're not comparing apples to apples or grapes to grapes or whatever you're comparing. You're you're not comparing the same. Now, one other point. The biblical words strong drink always refers to stronger alcohol because there's no water in it. It means undiluted. Every time in Scripture, strong drink or high alcohol content is mentioned, it's always forbidden. That's the reason, one of the reasons, I don't drink alcohol. Strong drink is forbidden. Strong drink is the higher alcohol content. That was forbidden. So I don't do it because I'm Baptist or refrain because I'm a preacher. I refrain because Scripture condemns strong drink. Norman Geisler, a strong Bible scholar, has a Ph.D. in philosophy from Loyola. Norman Geisler, because of the phrase strong drink, says, quote, Christians should never drink alcohol because of the phrase strong drink. And he goes one step further. He says, even ancient pagans would not drink alcohol as strong as ours today. If you drank strong drink in biblical days, you were called a barbarian. If it was undiluted, if you just drank it undiluted, they called you a barbarian. And he said they would ne- even pagans would never even consider drinking alcohol with a content as high as ours today. So every alcoholic drink we know of today falls into the category of strong drink. So that's why I don't drink. 
Now, as Christianity began to spread, the use of wine began to decline. Not increase, but decline. During the Middle Ages, wine production declined steadily. Finally, around the 12th century, it revived again. So biblical wine and today's alcohol are not even close. Well, pastor, what about the Lord's Supper? I mean, in biblical days, they used wine, right? Well, I want you to notice a couple of quotes by early historians describing the early Christians' Lord's Supper. Here's one by Justin Martyr. He said, bread was brought and wine and water. And the president, meaning the pastor, he was, he was not a believer, sends up prayers and thanksgivings. He's describing their Lord's Supper services. So they brought bread and wine and water to mix it. Look at Clement of Alexandria. It is best, notice 150 AD, it is best for the wine to be mixed with as much water as possible, for both are works of God, and the mixing of the two, water and the wine, produces health. In their communion services, they took the wine and they diluted it as a part of their communion. Now, go to letter D on your outline. What about Jesus turning the water into wine? This is a question I've had from a lot of people for a lot of years. Preacher, what about Jesus? He turned the water into wine. So therefore, it's okay for me to drink wine. He turned the water into wine. Well, it's not like he took some Ozarka and made Captain Morgan out of it, okay? Hold hold on a second. He, He didn't do that. Here's what happened. It was a wedding at Cana. They ran out of oinos. The Bible tells us, remember, oinos could be alcoholic or non-alcoholic. They ran out of it. Jesus told the servants to go fill the water pots, six of them, with 20 to 30 gallons of eat in each pot with water, and he turned it into wine. That's 180 gallons of wine. And the guests, the Bible said, were well drunk. Did Jesus get them drunk? Well, wait a second. The word well drunk that is translated in English is methuho. It means well drunk, or it could mean also translated fill up completely. It could have been they were just full. Not drunk, but full. There have been many times I've pushed away from a table and go, oh man, I am full. Never once have I pushed away from a table and went, oh, I'm drunk. There's a difference. And it could be the difference here. Now, the Bible says after they drank it, the guest of the house said, whoa, wait a minute, this is the good wine. What was the good wine? The good wine was after Passover, the first cutting of the grapes. That was the best wine. And then as the growing season went along, the wine got less and less and less in quality and less until finally 
The worst cutting was right before Passover. So that would be the poor wine. The wedding of Cana took place before Passover. So that means they would have expected poorer wine. And Jesus produced some that tasted like it was the first cutting. And they go, whoa, this is, how did he do that? It's not the Passover. It's not the new crop yet. How did he do that? And therein they saw the miracle. And so a lot of theologians believe this miracle is not about the alcohol at all. It was the symbolism of the teaching. It was his first miracle. A new teaching is here and it's the best teaching because you know what he did after the wedding at cana he went straight to jerusalem and turned over the tables money changers you make my house a, a den of the why do you do that he's overturned it's symbolic overturning the old system and the new teaching has come wasn't well, about alcohol at all it's about the teaching Plus, would Jesus, would Jesus have made a crowd drunk when later on in the Bible he condemned getting drunk? No. Do you know where Welch's grape juice came from? A man by the name of Thomas Bramwell Welch in 1869, that's him on the left by the way, he was a physician and a dentist. On this particular Sunday morning, it was his responsibility at his church and his son Charles, they were in charge for preparing the Lord's Supper table. We have our deacons do it. They had members of the church do it. It was Thomas and Charles's son, his son, time to do it. During the week, he started thinking, wait a minute. The bread we serve, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, must be unleavened. That means no yeast. Because yeast makes it impure. But yeast is a fermentation process. Yeast in bread produces gases, which produces fermentation, which makes the bread rise. And the Bible says in the Old Testament that, that the... That that the bread is not to have yeast in it because the fermentation makes it impure. So he went, wait a minute, why can the alcohol have fermentation and the bread not? Why can the wine have it and the bread not have it? Why is it unclean in one, not the other one? Doesn't make sense. So he went back to biblical techniques of how they produced juice with no alcohol. So it would be free of fermentation and be pure like the bread. A lot of congregations began using Welch's grape juice as substitute for the wine. So it'd be pure. No fermentation. This is 1869. Finally, by 1892, he made his Welch's grape juice available to the public. And you could buy it. And drink it. 
William Jennings Bryan, who was the Secretary of State to Woodrow Wilson in the early 1900s, then began serving Welch's grape juice at all the state functions rather than wine, and it became a popular hit. That's why we use juice rather than wine. Now, letter E, let's look at some practical considerations before we close. Three of them. Number one, alcohol is addictive. Alcohol is addictive. I don't know if I have the gene that makes me predisposed to be an alcoholic or not. I believe that's real, by the way. I believe some people are genetically predispositioned to be an alcoholic. I don't know if I have that gene or not, but I'll never have to worry about it. I'll never be an alcoholic because I don't drink. It's hard to be an alcoholic if you don't drink. I don't think anyone ever set out to be an alcoholic. I don't think anyone ever said, you know, I think I want to ruin my life. I think I want to spend all my money on on something and blow it and not have anything. And I think I want to beat my family. And I think I want to lose everything. I don't think anybody ever sets out to be an alcoholic. But folks, it's just so addictive that it takes you by the hand and it leads you where it wants you to go. There was an emergency room doctor over at Parkland Hospital a while back who said this. He said, quote, This place would be a lot quieter at night if it weren't for alcohol. It's Parkland Hospital. He said, Every night there's a bloody trail, automobile accidents, stabbings, wife beatings, fights. You take away alcohol, this place would be a lot quieter. One in four families in the U.S. broken apart by alcohol. One in four. It's a lot. So, I believe, since it's terribly addictive, why, why would a Christian put yourself under the influence of that? Second of all, Second consideration is, alcohol affects your body and your brain. Studies repeatedly talk about your body and your brain. Your body, it affects your pancreas, your intestines, your kidneys, your liver, your heart, your esophagus. Studies show also it affects your brain. Thomas Edison, he never drank alcohol, and and he's a teetotaler, and so his buddies would give him a hard time. Oh, you're just a teetotaler. Why are you a teetotaler? And Thomas Edison said, because I have better uses for my brain. Somebody is injured in the U.S. in an alcohol-related incident every two minutes. And every 33 minutes, somebody dies in the U.S., because of alcohol. So from the time I started my sermon till right now, somebody in the U.S. died due to alcohol. And number three, 
Alcohol affects your testimony as a Christian. Alcohol affects your testimony as a Christian. For a moment, just lay aside the alcohol content discussion and all the Greek words and and Hebrew words. Set all of that aside for a moment. Alcohol affects your testimony as a believer in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If I walked in today and I started the worship service and I'm holding a Bud Light, Mark leads us in the first song, choir's up here, and you're all standing, and I walk up here, and I've got a Bud Light, and I say, well, good morning, and I walk over here, sit on the piano. Glad everybody's here. We're here to praise the Lord and lift up the name of Jesus, and well, we're so glad you're here, and, and then after I pray, everybody greets somebody, and I walk over here and get my Bud Light and take a drink. You would think nothing of it, right? You'd think nothing of it, right? Sure you would. You'd go, what's he doing? Is that a Bud Light? I don't like a Bud Light. I don't know. Wow. What's he doing? Now, if I had a bottle of water, you wouldn't think anything of it. I've got one right here. You didn't think anything of it. Or if I had one of those new orange vanilla Cokes, I want to try those, by the way. If I had one of those, you'd go, oh, Pastor's trying one of those new. Ah, I wonder how it is. I'll ask him afterwards. It'd be no big deal. But if I had a Bud Light, It'd bother you. Or or what if you saw me buying a six-pack at a convenience store? I saw Brother Greg buy. Are you sure that? I sure look like Was that Brother Greg? I sure look like him. What's he doing? I don't know. It'd be the talk. Why? It's alcohol. It affects your testimony. Sure it does. Max Lucado, I love his books. You'll see his picture here. Wrote, he's written 40 books, sold 100 million copies in 54 languages. He pastored Oak Hills Church in San Antonio for 20 years. Now he preaches there still, but he's not actually the pastor preaches along with Randy Frazee there. Still preaches and still writes. But he told this story. He said that he is from a family of alcoholics. He said, it was never an issue for me, ever. My family... Alcohol is a problem. He said, I was pastoring the church. I've been pastoring there at Oak Hills for some time. I've been writing books, and his name is already popular, and he'd been there for several years. And he said, I never had a problem with alcohol. And, and one night, I was alone at the house by myself. Family was gone, and I cooked up some barbecue, and I thought, I wonder what a beer with this barbecue would taste like. Someone got one. The store came back, drank it. Well, that's pretty good. So he said, I decided next time I was home by myself, I would would try it with Mexican food. And it's pretty good. I thought, hey, this is pretty good. So when nobody was home, I, I would drink it with barbecue and with Mexican food. And then it got to where when nobody was home, I would come in after the day and I would drink it with no food. I'd have a couple of beers after I came home from pastoring, long day, have a couple of beers, relax. And then he said, I, then I began to kind of plan how I could do it, nobody know it. 
And I started planning how I could drink. And it became pretty often. He said, I was on my way to speak at a men's retreat. And the whole way I'm driving, I'm thinking, now, how can I plan it to stop and get, get some beer before the retreat? He said, I planned it. There was a little convenience store that was out of the way. So I went, I stopped, I parked. There were people in there. I didn't want to take a chance, so I waited in my car until they're all gone and the store was empty and I got out of my car and I ran in there and I bought it and I put it by my side and I walked quickly out to the car and I sat down and he said, I put it in the car seat and I heard God speak. And God said, what are you doing? Why are you doing anything in life that you have to hide? That you have to put by your side and walk quickly out so nobody sees you. And then Max said, it came to my mind just the night before, my wife and I had to set one of our daughters down and tell her, honey, you don't hide anything from us. You'll not get in nearly as bad of trouble, but you tell us. You, tell, you don't hide anything. You tell us. And he said, that came to my mind. He said, I said, God, I'm sorry. He said, he took the beer. There's a trash bin over there. He walked. He said, I threw it away. We did the retreat. That next weekend, I went to church, called a special call meeting of my elders. I said, guys, I need to tell you something. Man, I, I've been drinking alcohol. And he told them the whole story. He said, I've thrown it away, and I'm quitting, but I wanted you to know. Hold me accountable. And he said, one of the elders spoke up and said, Max, the devil is determined to get you. You need to keep alcohol out of your life. And he said, I took that as a word from God. And maybe this morning, that same word of God has gone to you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you today for your word. Thank you for what you teach us, Lord, not just about alcohol. But Father, help all of our lives be a reflection of Jesus. Lord, may we not come under the control of anything except your Holy Spirit. And oh, Father, may our testimony and our witness to other people always be strong as a believer in Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.